Hello, and welcome to A History of Hannibal, Episode 8, How Not to Invade Africa. Surprise Saturday episode. Tomorrow is my birthday, and I understandably want to take this day off from podcasting, so there will be an episode today instead. Now we have mentioned why the episode is out early, let's get into it. So, the invasion of Africa had begun. When we left off last time, the main Roman fleet had just joined the beachhead at Aspis. So, let's get back to the action. Aspis held out, so the Romans placed it under siege while fortifying their position. The Carthaginian fleet returned from the defeat at Ecdomus and began to defend the various approaches to Carthage, fully expecting the Romans to be confident from their victory and attack the capital. This plan was modified once it was realised the Romans were besieging Aspis. Rather than protecting the various approaches, they concentrated their forces at Carthage and its defence from the landward side. The Romans finally took Aspis and left a garrison in the town. They sent envoys to Rome to report their progress and to ask for further instructions. While they waited for a response on how to conduct the campaign, they decided to ravage the countryside. Eventually, word got back from Rome, saying that one consul should stay in Africa with a reasonable force, while the other should return to Rome with the fleet. Regulus was to stay in Africa with 15,000 infantry and 500 cavalry, while Manlius returned to Rome. It became obvious to the Carthaginians that the Romans were not making a quick raid. This would be a long occupation. They made their preparations accordingly. Hasdrubal, the son of Hanno, and Bostar were elected generals, and they ordered Hamilcar, currently stationed at the port of Heraclea on Sicily, to return home with the troops he had, 5,000 infantry and 500 cavalry. He was made their third general. Hamilcar and Hasdrubal spoke over how best to deal with the Roman threats, they decided that they could not let the Romans plunder the countryside, and so decided to stop the Romans from doing this. Regulus was pillaging the countryside a few days later, specifically besieging the town of Adiz, when the Carthaginians moved against him. The Carthaginians occupied the high ground. This seemed like a good move, because they could overlook the enemy. But... It was really a bad move. When selecting the ground for battle, you want to pick ground that exaggerates your own army's advantages while lessening those of your enemy. The strongest element of the Carthaginian force was their cavalry. The elephants were also very useful. Both of these worked best on flat terrain, not hills. The Romans, meanwhile, had spent the majority of the last hundred years in an on-off war against the Samnites in the mountains of central Italy. They were well prepared to fight a battle on hills. The Romans observed that the Carthaginians were on rocky ground that neutralised their best troops, 
so they attacked before the Carthaginians could leave. The elephants and the cavalry were not involved in the battle that followed at all. The Carthaginian infantry mercenaries charged against the Roman First Legion, and had some success, pushing the Romans back, but they moved too quickly, and were surrounded by the Romans, who had attacked from the other side of the hill. The Carthaginian army was forced out of its camp and fled. Rome was firmly in control of the countryside. They continued to capture the surrounding towns and cities, including Tunis, which became the Roman headquarters. Things were not looking good at Carthage. They had just suffered two major defeats. Both were the result of incompetent generals. To compound this misery, the Numidians launched an invasion of Carthage at the same time. The Numidians inflicted even more damage on the Carthaginian countryside than the Romans were doing. There was panic in Carthage. While the Romans were winning the war, things were not all smiles in Regulus's tent. You see, Regulus had a problem. He was sure Carthage was about to fall. This was good. But you see, when the fleet returned to Africa in the spring-summer of 255, it would bring the new consuls. It would be the new consuls who would claim victory. The honour. The respect. Not Regulus. If Regulus wanted to be a hero, and to have a triumph, a huge victory parade, he would need to end the war before they arrived. It would be extremely hard to storm Carthage so quickly, with only 15,000 troops. But a peace deal worked just as well. He invited the Carthaginians to the bargaining table. Given the aforementioned panic in Carthage, they accepted Regulus's offer. Negotiations began. The Carthaginians were hopeful. Perhaps they could get out of this terrible situation. They were prepared to take whatever terms Regulus was going to hand out. Once negotiations began, it became clear to the Carthaginians that they could not accept what Regulus demanded. Regulus was acting like he had already taken the city, not like he was negotiating with a still powerful force. According to Cassius Dio, he demanded Carthage pay an indemnity, surrender any Roman prisoners, ransom any Carthaginian prisoners, evacuate Sicily and Sardinia, surrender their whole navy with the exception of one ship, and provide 50 vessels for Rome any time Rome demanded them. If Regulus made any concessions from these harsh demands, he did not treat them like a powerful nation trying to get a better deal, but himself making a personal favour. After all, he was already the master of Carthage. The Carthaginians were gobsmacked. Surely continuing to fight was a better option. Even if they were defeated, how much worse could things get? Carthage continued the fight. Earlier in the war, the Carthaginians sent recruiting officers to Greece to get some mercenaries for her army. Right now, 
a party returned. It brought a body of mercenaries, including a man named Xanthippus of Lacedaemon. For those of you not very familiar with ancient Greece, we could also call him Xanthippus of Sparta. Lacedaemonian and Spartan are often used interchangeably in the ancient texts. Xanthippus had the usual Spartan discipline, and was an expert in the art of war. Upon hearing of the disasters that had befallen Carthage, he decided to inspect the Carthaginian forces himself. He quickly came to the conclusion that the results of battle were not because of superior Roman ability, but because the Carthaginian commanders were hopeless and incompetent. If Carthage had a decent commander, then there was no reason why she couldn't beat the Romans. Xanthippus made these comments to his friends. In the atmosphere of panic, these words soon spread. Before long, they had made their way to the Carthaginian generals. Xanthippus was called in for questioning by Carthage's government. Xanthippus explained to the generals why they were suffering so many defeats. He said if they fought on the flat ground, then they could easily defeat the Romans. The generals agreed, and Xanthippus was placed in charge of the Carthaginian army. The effect on morale in Carthage was electric. The atmosphere of trauma that had followed their defeats began to change into an atmosphere of hope once Xanthippus's comments became widely known. His confirmation as the head of Carthage's military confirmed this confidence. Xanthippus led the Carthaginian army out of the city and made some manoeuvres. The morale of the troops was sky high. Here was a leader who finally knew what he was doing. Infinitely better than his Carthaginian counterparts, it was even the small things he did right, such as using the correct military terminology when issuing orders. The troops were eager to fight, and so, after a few days, he let out the Carthaginian force of 12,000 infantry, 4,000 cavalry, and around 100 elephants, in what was probably May 255 BC. The Romans were surprised by the Carthaginian aggression, and change of tactics. Carthage now sticking to the plains. The Romans, specifically Regulus, wanted to end this as soon as possible, and so were quite happy to battle the Carthaginians on the plain. They encamped a mile away from the Carthaginians, who the next day held a council of war. The troops were eager. They shouted Xanthippus's name while the generals talked. The generals saw the high spirits of their troops. It was quite obvious who they wanted to lead them. Xanthippus urged the generals to not let the opportunity slip. They must seize the day. They did. Xanthippus was given the command to do as he saw fit, and he at once ordered his troops to battle positions. He placed the elephants at the front of his army with the phalanx of Carthaginian citizens behind. This is notable, 
as Carthaginians were only levied when Africa was invaded and Carthage was threatened. More mercenaries were placed on the right, with the more mobile cavalry in front of both wings. The Romans advanced to meet the Carthaginians. Alarmed by the elephants, they placed the Velites in the front line. Behind these were the maniples. But rather than being in the usual three lines, the Roman force was much deeper. The cavalry were divided between the wings. The formation was designed to deal with the elephants, but it completely forgot about the Carthaginian cavalry, who drastically outnumbered the Romans. The two sides were ready. Battle was imminent. Xanthippus ordered the elephants to break the enemy line, while the cavalry, on each wing, should outflank the Romans. The Romans advanced towards the Carthaginians, as the Roman cavalry was routed by the superior Carthaginian cavalry. The Roman left, despising the mercenaries on the Carthaginian right, charged against them, partly out of hate, and partly to avoid the elephants. They were able to drive off the mercenaries, and chase them back to the Carthaginian camp. The rest of the Romans faced the elephants, and they did not fare well. The front line of Elites fell back due to the sheer weight of the elephant charge, and they were trampled. The rest of the army was able to hold its shape, but it wasn't long before the rear was surrounded by the Carthaginian cavalry. Many Romans were trampled by the elephants. Many were shot down by the Carthaginian cavalry. Those that were not killed fled. Most of these were killed, while a force of 500, including Regulus, was captured. 800 Carthaginian mercenaries were killed. The only Romans to survive were those 2,000 that had pursued the Carthaginian right wing, and the 500 with Regulus who were captured. Having finished last week with a disastrous defeat for Carthage, this seems like a good time to end this week with the positions reversed. If you like the show, find more online. You know where? Thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com Facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast Twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod YouTube.com forward slash the history of podcast and the history of podcast at gmail.com thanks to peter john ross for the music and thanks to you for listening i'll see you next week when we'll see what carthage does with its victory and how rome handles its defeat